Okay, well, welcome to the latest episode of EdTech Today. I'm Kevin Hogan. I'm glad you found us. Uh, and with me today, an old friend and colleague, David Jakes. David, I think it's almost since last century uh, that we've known each other. Uh, welcome to the show, and, and thanks for taking the time. Oh, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Now, uh, we've, on the show, we've hit on a lot of different aspects, uh, but only a few times have we talked about um, learning spaces and the importance of learning spaces. And I know that you've spoken uh, at many events where, I, where I've been, and we've had many conversations over the past 20 years on the importance of the reshaping of those, especially when it comes uh, to the use of technologies and the potentials that are there. Uh, we haven't spoken since all the madness began, uh, but I know in, in some of my other conversations, uh, people have spoken about this being a particular moment in time that they can see education going on a pivot. Maybe if we start off, can you talk a little bit about your history in terms of where you came from and uh, the current work that you're doing now and how the pandemic has shaped that? Sure. Um, well, uh, my background is includes 27 years of public K-12 education, uh, 15 years as a biology teacher, and then 12 as an administrator, both at the school district and in school building level in instructional technology. Um, I got a unique opportunity to leave education and join Canon Design in their third teacher plus studio uh, in Chicago, work downtown Chicago and, and be part of a really unique situation or a studio inside a larger firm where we got to uh, design learning spaces and, and it ranged from all kinds of different projects from uh, renovations to entire schools and so on um, um, across the United States. Did that for two years and I learned enough to be dangerous and, and decided to strike out on my own. So I, for the last six years, I've been an independent freelance designer and a lot of my work uh, focuses mostly on designing new kinds of learning spaces. Although I like to say that I'm much more focused on helping schools with organizational change efforts. Um, a lot of that has to do with learning spaces change it can deal with other things, um, curriculum, professional development, and so on. I also do some work with corporate clients and helping them with um, their work uh, in terms of their processes and their, the way in which they engage their clients. Uh, one of my big parts of my business also is supporting the work of architects and doing um, the front end educational discovery process that leads to the design work that leads to uh, school facilities. Um, in, in helping them understand the educational climate and culture of a school that can translate into uh, the design drivers for the project and helping them really put in a, a deep educational uh, front end into the design process. Yeah. So that's what I do. Now, I know um, back in the day uh, and when you were still uh, working with the district, uh, you were doing some pretty radical progressive stuff uh, for the time, uh, open spaces, the idea of students having access anytime, anywhere, uh, using their one-to-one -one device, which at that time you had to explain to people why you didn't have to have them in rows and desks and, and, and all the rest of it. That has come, uh, that has advanced certainly over the years, but it really, I, I don't think it was until the, the pandemic struck to where some ideas such as one-to-one, -one, uh, such as anywhere, anytime access in a structure, in a facility, uh, went from something that was theoretical to what was a stark uh, reality. 
Talk about some of the um, the experiences, uh, you know, during the onset of COVID that you've seen the concepts of learning spaces change. Well, you know, it's interesting, you know, with my technology background, um, you know, teaching with technology face-to-face in a school, in an instructional setting in a classroom is much different than teaching kids remotely. There is a, a big shift in, and so, you know, a lot of ways teachers were, we spent a lot of time developing, um, you know, instructional methodologies and learning experiences that were based in using technology within schools and so on. So teachers, you know, relatively had a pretty good handle on some of that. Uh, but then all of a sudden the pandemic hits and now we're in a remote situation and in having to um, shift uh, almost overnight to that kind of situation, obviously a huge challenge, much different experience. You know, the, one of the things that, that we weren't ready for was, you know, we might call it digital pedagogy. Um, and, you know, mapping, and, mapping a face-to-face instructional methodology into an online environment is a big challenge and it doesn't translate well. And so, you know, one of the things that I think that, that there's, there's a lot of things that have emerged out of, out of uh, the pandemic. And, and the big thing that I see, and my clients reinforce this, and my, my engagement with teachers also do this and uh, talk about this, is that teachers have become more fearless. And they're much more willing to try things. And that necessarily wasn't always the case. Uh, but everybody was, every single teacher, no matter your, your, your level of experience or what you taught, was forced into a, a beta environment and had to adapt and learn to adapt. And so I think one of the biggest things that comes out of the pandemic is to take that spirit of, of um, investigation, of trial and error, of, of, hey, let's try this, see what happens. And uh, as an administrator, you can do a lot with that. As a teacher leader, you can do a lot with that. And there's lots of ways to employ that in the advancement of the experience that takes place in schools. So I'm really encouraged by that. That's, that's one of the first things I've, I've seen is a brand new spirit. Uh, that we can capture and direct in in in, in positive and good ways. Uh, the second thing is really interesting, and that's and that's um, the focus on and the understanding of the face-to-face connection, in the human connection between teacher and student. Now we've always known that school is important for that, right? And the relationships that are built between teachers and students and classrooms, which are still the fundamental. Uh, space for learning in schools, the building block of any school, is literally, uh, what's interesting about that, it's, it's literally the place where kids that are interested in learning show up on a daily basis to meet adults and committed adults who want to help them do that. That is the fundamental essence of school. Um, and the timeless element is never going to change, and that's what was lost. Um, and so when we were going to this remote condition, we realize, and educators realize, and, and I'll say this as a former instructional technology coordinator, the, it's, it's a sterile environment. It's not like the experience we have in a classroom. It's sterile. Uh, you know, as a classroom teacher, and I'm, I'm gonna, it's gonna sound funny, but it's true. When you're teaching kids and bringing forth a concept, you can tell, if you know the kids, you can tell immediately if they're getting it or not. You, and, you know, and every teacher understands that. It's the body language, it's the questions, it's the facial expressions. It's all those things cumulatively across the classroom that you notice and, and understand it's feedback, right? That's all lost in the technology environment. You're talking to a little square head, right? With a, with a hoodie over their, 
Yeah, with a hoodie. Eyes. You know, <laughs> or you're talking to a kid that has taken a picture of himself, <laughs> a video of himself on a phone, right. smiling, smiling and paying attention. And looking then, engaged. <laughs> looking engaged and then points the plays the video and points it at the camera you know, while their classroom is going on. You know, life will find a way. They're really creative. Um, so one of the, the things that come out of that is is the very realization and, and, and people have realized that schools did much more than just teach kids. I mean, they, they fed kids, right? I think that was one of the biggest things that, that the public realized is the importance of schools in providing kids with, with food every day. So the thing that comes out of this is two things. One about technology. And if we're going to have, uh, you know, conditions for, uh, teaching and learning online. And first of all, let's stop with remote learning because nothing says human more than remote, right? <laughs> uh, it's the worst name ever for, for that remote learning. Uh, that does not bring up, I'm a big fan of naming things properly and things that the way you name things, for example, classroom versus studio. Studio says a different kind of, uh, sets a different tone than a classroom does. You think, you know, you ask teachers about those, they'll say they represent different things. And so how we talk about things and how the nomenclature of things does matter. So, um, yeah, not a big fan of remote learning. So, you know, the question is, where will where will online learning land or remote learning, whatever you want to call it, where will that land in the future? Um, will it be a part? And some schools are already going to, you know, realize that you know, it was effective for some kids. Yeah. You know, and why not? Why not have an online academy? And the, you know, the interesting thing is, I sort of, you know, just just top off my talk off my head here is that one of the, I saw an article the other day where, where um, businesses, if you if work is truly remote, interesting concept, if, if work can be done in a remote situation, businesses are no longer regulated by the 30 mile radius of, of you having to drive to work. Right. So if it's truly remote, they can hire the best person in the world for that job. And so I'm wondering how that eventually translates into education and the design of online learning academies or schools where your teacher, you can, you're not, you're no longer have to hire, you know, I'm in Northern Illinois, I'm a school in Northern Illinois, you no longer have to hire somebody that could drive to work. You could hire somebody from anywhere in the world to teach your English class. Right. And what would, it, what would it look like if you were able to assemble the best teaching faculty in the world to teach your online school. That's really an intriguing kind of concept is really the interesting design question. So coming out of this, going back to my original th thought um, is the need for technology and online learning environments to become more human. And I'm sort of watching very closely the kinds of environments that emerge out of this. And, you know, Zoom obviously, or Google Meet or whatever it's called these days, um, you know, pretty sterile kind of platform. And what constitutes ways in which we can create a more compelling human kind of experience online? And that's really the fundamental question that, that schools would have to address and answer as they move forward into online environments. That is the same question that faces them today in, in physical spaces of school. So I think the biggest thing that schools are gonna realize in coming out of this is the importance of relationships in the power of relationships between teachers and kids, and really the school community. And so if you're looking to do one thing when you come back to school, you know, you're talking about all these different things, you know, uh, education is faced with or has 
the opportunity to do a lot of different things, competency-based education, standards-based, and whatever you want to call it, personalized learning, all these different things that influence the educational daily experience. But the one thing is that they all occur in the space. And so if you're going to do one thing, coming back to school, my suggestion is what can you do to make your spaces more human? Uh, and that's true of the physical spaces. And so the idea is if relationships are so important to kids and teachers, let's make our physical spaces more conducive, more capable of establishing and sustaining and growing those relationships. Uh, and you know, when you line kids up in a steel frame desk where the original design was in from the 1800s and they're sitting in rows and they're listening and they're uncomfortable and everything that goes along with that environment, again, that's, that's that's a sterile environment. That's the that's the online experience in translated back into the in person, right? It's, yeah. You're sitting. You're not in the grid in Zoom, but you're in the grid in the classroom. So you know that's you know I'm sort of so I'm really encouraged and hopeful that schools will take the opportunity to understand the human element that was lost and how do we on a daily basis look at strategies and opportunities to increase the way in which we develop a sense of belonging in our schools. And that can, and spatial, spatial uh, redesign can go a long way in supporting that. So, and, and you know, part of the inspiration for us uh, getting back together to talk was, I mean, you have some recent projects that you're working on those things. Can you go into a little bit of detail on, on what you mean about making spaces more uh, human? Sure. I think, you know, in a lot of ways, you know, if I were to focus on a couple of things, first of all, it's, if you're thinking about doing something like that, first of all, it's it's a focus on your perspectives and beliefs about space. You know, I work for I work for a, a group called the Third Teacher, which is Third Teacher Plus, which came out of the book The Third Teacher. And, and the Third Teacher is Reggio Emilia belief that there are three teachers of children: one, adults, meaning parents and teachers; two, peers; and three, space. So really going back into establishing space as a fundamental component of the educational experience and not neglecting it, not, not making it a, something that we're comfortable with kids sitting in desks that we purchased in the 1970s, you know, and, and elevating the importance of that. So perspectives and beliefs about the importance and relevance of space to the educational experience, that's the first thing. The second thing we have to focus is on once, if, if that's true, then we have to develop different kinds of spaces. So, perspectives and beliefs, and then building new kinds of spaces that support the third thing, new kinds of methodologies and practices that create those uh, opportunities. So it's perspectives and beliefs, it's new spaces, and given those two things, how do we develop practices and methodologies that amplify the educational experience? Uh, so, you know, all my work really focuses on, on one thing, and that's developing a wider palette for the design of educational experiences. And that can be, that's really focused on two things. One, it's, it's giving teachers a wider uh, degree or greater capacity to design experiences where spaces are, play a significant role in that. And two, creating flexible, agile spaces, and again, and working on the mindset of people so that not only do teachers have greater abilities to design experiences, but working with the belief system that give kids the opportunity to have ownership and grant them agency to use space independently on their own, they shape the space according to their needs. 
So it's, it's you know, my work is focused on two things. It's, it's creating better spaces for teachers to create better learning experiences and working with the mindsets and beliefs and practices of schools to help them reshape their, their thinking about how kids independently and collectively can use spaces to support their own learning. Um, I think that's the, the part of, that's really where my projects focus. Um, I'm, I'm really interested in, um, in looking at the relationship of, of, you know, some of my projects. I want to Philadelphia looks at the relationship of informal spaces to formal spaces. Uh, I have a project I'm part of with an architect in, in Iowa, uh, where they're designing a new high school, where the new high school for the community has more informal space. What I mean by informal space is spaces that are not regularly scheduled uh, for a classroom. It might be a corridor space. Uh, it could be the library. It could be a lot of different things. Uh, current, current, uh, the new school has more. <clears throat> excuse me, has more informal space than the current school has formal space classroom. Interesting. Space. Yeah. So you see this. They see this relationship of where we don't want. We want to to look at classrooms and give them more diverse capabilities rather than rows and kids and sitting and listening. And then what we want to do is, so there's a design environment in the classroom. Then what we want to do is partner that space with other spaces within the school. And that might be informal spaces, might be a library, might be a cafeteria, might be anything. And so we have to look in, in, terms, of, in terms of designing spaces, not in isolation. We're not going to design just classrooms, but we're going to look at it in terms of ecology, uh, creating a learning space ecology that, that uh, serves teaching and learning in a wide variety of ways on demand, you know, spontaneous, but also planned, of course, um, and give teachers that palette where I'm just not, I just have, I don't have straight rows of desks, a smart board or in the, you know, a, some kind of interactive whiteboard or now a, a, a digital display and the kids sit and listen, you know, that's, that's the big thing. The other thing, the big thing, uh, to understand the big thing about space. And I love sharing this because it's so profound and so interesting is that, is that, and I've heard this a number of times from so many different students in so many different schools, the biggest thing that kids want in their learning spaces is comfort. They're uncomfortable at school. And I got intrigued by that and I sort of dug into it with kids and I said, well, what's important about comfort? And they said, well, when we come to class, and we know we're going to be uncomfortable, that's a stressful situation for us. And they sit down and they're uncomfortable and they start, they start squirming. They have to spend the first minute trying to get comfortable or whatever. And it's not a good experience. And so what, I, what I've come to realize is that, that spaces, one of the key factors in space design is creating comfortable spaces for kids. And what that does is it translates into a readiness to learn. Mm. And that's a big deal. And, and when, you, when you talk with teachers about that, and administrators, they understand that. They get that right away. And they, and just like myself, I didn't think about go comfort. Okay, you want to be sure it's nice, but what does it really mean? And, and that's pretty, you know, when you start, when you, when you come in and they're ready to learn from, from minute one, that's a big deal for teachers. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's a lot of, when you start digging into space, space like that, it becomes all these little nuances that no one thinks about. And I had a, a client that had, is going to personalize learning. And then I walked in to do an observation and it was a math classroom and all the kids were lined up in two rows and the rows stretched across the entire uh, classroom. And he was giving a lesson. He was sitting at a podium and talking. 
and there was no access literally to the back row. It was always only down one side of the room. It was it was awful. So when the the redesign, we had we had used furniture that put kids into groups. They were they were they were really interesting tables uh, that that group kids, and there were some other things, stand up desks and so on. But when I went back to talk to him about the impact of the space, I said, "What's the biggest impact that you have?" And he said, "Traffic lines." I go, "What?" He goes, "Traffic lines." I go, "Why is that?" He goes. Well, we're moving to personalized learning and I need to know where every single kid is at during the lesson. He goes, before in my previous space, I couldn't get to the back row and talk with any of the kids. So the opening up, the, the spatial design opened up traffic patterns and walkways where he could actually come in contact with every single kid and yeah. come back and see, uh, see where they're at. You know, in the same class, we have, the tables had writable surfaces and, and kids love those. This is the thing I get asked for all the time. And I finally asked, why are you so interested? In, and this is another thing I've heard a number of times is kids will say, well, when, when I can away, wipe away my solution or my trial, I'm much more apt to try things. Mm. I would have never thought about that. Never thought that would have been important to kids, but the ephemeral nature of a whiteboarding surface, I can try something that didn't work, wipe away, is a big deal for kids. And it's all these little things that you learn about space that we've missed for years that translate into a more human, more effective, more kind, more equitable kind of good condition where teachers have that wider kind of palette and are much more capable as a result of it. Uh, just they're, they're intangibles, right? I mean, they're just the... Yeah, they're intangibles become very tangible, you know, and very quickly for, yeah. and once you put teachers in those spaces, they go, I don't want my classroom back at all. Yeah. They, they see that they see the power of space to really um, change the equation of what, of what happens in, in, in their space. And, and that's when, that's when it's really gets really exciting when you, yeah. when you get spaces that uh, produce that new kind of capability. It's, it's pretty interesting and, and great. And um, you know, they're always grateful for it and the kids, especially. Yeah. So when I started the conversation, I was talking about the, the more and more people are identifying this time as a moment, right. And an inflection point. Um, all the things that you've just described seem to be things that maybe can happen now with, I don't know, influx of, of, of monies. Um, you were saying a, a changing of behavior and inspiration on the part of teachers and administrators uh, and, and teacher agency and not being afraid to, to, to fail. Um, give me your crystal ball on a best case scenario that, you know, we're, we're kind of going back to normal. The, Obstacles that were th were there before the pandemic have been temporarily lifted. Um, do you see that? I mean, where do you see the potential being in, in, in two or three years? Glass half full. I'm always desperate for the glass to be yeah, half you know, full. There's the seductive lure of 2018. Uh, and there's yeah. the going back to a known condition yeah. that's comfortable and known. Um, and there's a danger of that. Uh, a real danger of that. And there's a danger of losing the moment. And so one of the things that's really important is that right now there's a tremendous amount of understanding of a new kind of condition for teaching and learning uh, that's, that's, that exists within the, within the teacher community, within the, with the community itself. So there's a high degree of really interesting information that's embodied in um, the professional community, uh, the institutional community of schools, as well as the community of the schools themselves, parents and so on. And so 
the danger is that schools don't take advantage and try to make sense of, of all that information. And so fire hose, it's a lot. Yeah. And it's a lot at a time when they're trying to prepare for in-person in, in learning again in August. But the question is, is, is what will you learn from the pandemic and it's all, it's all, Kevin, it's, it's site specific as there's some commonalities we can draw about, but every community, every school is different. Mm -hmm. uh, they all had different approaches slightly and so on in there, but there's, there's a tremendous amount of information that can be, can be understood and try to understand that and shift and make that and shape it into projections going forward. Um, it's easy to go back to what was done before. And there's some schools that will do that. And to some degree, there's a need for that. And I'm, I'm saying, talking out of the two sides of my mouth here, it's okay to, I mean, welcome kids back and the safety and the security of school. And there's a lot of value in that. Kids need that. Teachers need that. Communities need that. But at the same time, that doesn't mean that we, we, we should forgo opportunities to take advantage of what I've talked about earlier with teacher abilities to and willingness to try things uh, into, into going new directions. Now the problem with that is what direction to go in. Right. Yep. And you know, I just wrote a, wrote a blog post last night. And one of the things that I, what I do as a, as a designer, and, and here's why, you know, when I, when I go in design spaces, the first thing I, I do is, is try to understand uh, their climate, their culture, and where they're going educationally, what they do educationally, realizing that that my work is not transactional at all. It tr tries to be transformational in the sense that anybody can go buy, if you want to go buy new furniture for your classroom, you don't need me. Just call up a dealer or a furniture manufacturer and get the furniture. But if you want to use space to shape your conditions differently, then I can help with that. But uh, so great design starts by understanding the educational experience first and then making a pivot to a spatial response. So if you want to accomplish this with your school, let's understand that and then use that as a design framework for creating spaces that will allow that to manifest. So when I go in, uh, and this is true of corporate clients as well, is, is I will try and identify where they wanna be in five years. I'll ask them. And for the most part, no one knows. Um, very rarely will, I, will they say we want to be here with our with our experience in five or ten years. And when I ask them for to describe the the uh, experience that they offer kids on a daily basis, I'm met with blank stares. Yeah, but ask that question. I get handed a curriculum guide. No, I wasn't asking what your courses you have. I get handed a uh, mission and vision that they happen to find somewhere. Or I might get handed a portrait of graduate. Those are all things that inform uh, what you want to do on a daily basis. But I want to know a kid's experience. I want to know the heart and soul of schools. I want to know the pageants, the ceremonies, the language, the things that make the school the school. Um, and so I've sort of given up on asking the five to ten year question. And so what I'm doing now is 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 trying to focus on. And this is where I'm going with the with you know coming out of the pandemic is what can we do to advance the educational experience of the school, and that's much less threatening than trying to get them to identify five years or ten years. Yeah, horizon. And it's much less threatening than talking about change because when you talk about change with teachers and administrators, 
especially teachers, it suggests that they're not doing something right, that they need to change this to from what they're doing now to something different. And in a lot of places, there's a lot of good things going on. It has been for a long time. So given that, a much more threatening, much more productive stance to take is, all right, we've got this experience and how can we advance it? Where, 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 can, we, where can we take steps forward that improve what we do? And along the way, we're always focused on improvement, but along the way, we can also focus on new things that we can do and innovative things that emerge as part of that, that practice that we might not have planned for or seen, but are spontaneous and serendipitous and emerge that we can take advantage of and perhaps go to scale with. So um, I'm, I'm hopeful, um, you know, given this, the perspective of the teachers, I'm cautious given the focus of schools and their needs to get schools up and running and get kids back in a safe way. And there's that tension between the two that suggests that the future of schools is really unknown hmm. and in the balance, literally. And, and some schools will move forward leaps and bounds. Some schools will go back to what they're doing. It will be all over the place as you might expect. Uh, but at the end, if we can create more, no matter what you, wherever you go in the future, if we can complete, create more conditions in schools that are more human, that embrace inclusiveness, that are more equitable, and that place kids at the center of their experience, we'll, the better we will be. And that will be probably enough for the next for a couple of years. Yeah. The, they actually stopped, really. Yeah. I mean, we, we can get to that. That's uh, that's one of the glass half full. Yeah. There wouldn't be, there wouldn't be anything wrong with that. Right. Right. If, Absolutely. If we that. So yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. where, that's where my thinking is on that. Well, I knew the toughest part of this conversation would be to end it. Uh, we have so many mm -hmm. other aspects that we could talk about and, and go on. And even in this inhuman uh, Zoom connect, uh, you, you really came out with some, some great insights that I think uh, our listeners and our, our audience can really kind of take away and, and apply to, um, to their own work and how um, they are kind of trying to help the ed tech uh, industry and that industry help uh, kids and schools go forward. So thank you and, and thank you for your work. It's great to see you. Hopefully we'll be able to see each other uh, in person soon. Absolutely, my pleasure, Kevin. And thanks everyone for watching. And I hope you click around for another episode of EdTech Today soon.